Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. One of the reasons why I love our church family. A couple years ago, I did exactly what Chris Kyle did whenever he got up here to do announcements. And I was like, he is risen. And everyone's like, okay. <laughs> They're like, yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like, no one knows what to say. And I was like, that's a good problem to have. It, it is a group of people that's either new to Christianity or they didn't grow up into it. And that's a good problem to have, to have people coming into the church and learn about who Christ is and who the gospel. So that excites me. And so, but just so you guys know, when people say that, the response is he has risen indeed. So there you go. You've, you've been informed. So uh, turn, if you would, to the book of 1 Corinthians. Our church just went through 1 Corinthians not too long ago, and we're going to be back in 1 Corinthians today. In fact, if someone said, Rick, what is your favorite verse in the Bible? I would probably have three, and this is amongst my three that we're going to be looking at today, and specifically verse 57. But we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you're kind of unfamiliar with the Bible, it's toward the back end of your Bible. If you hit 2 Corinthians, you went too far. At the end of the book, you'll find the 15th chapter. If you don't own a Bible, there's some Bibles on the back table back there. Uh, there's even some translations that are a little bit easier for children called the NLT, and you can grab one of those. It's our gift to you. So happy Easter. It's good to see you guys. I'm excited to preach this morning. My wife would tell you I don't get um, overly excited about too many things. I don't like sports. I think baseball's boring. I found out that's offensive to people this week. I said, I think there should be one strike and one ball, and then I might watch it. I told it to my best friend. He actually stopped his truck and told me to get out. And uh, so I, I don't get excited about sports. I don't get overly excited about a lot of stuff. I get overly excited about my family, uh, my wife, my kids, and about Jesus and about the gospel and about the message we're preaching. Our Easter message today, just so you know, if you're here and you're brand new, visiting, you got drug in here by someone, whatever it is, it's the same message we preach every other week at Gospel Community Church. And so for those that call this church your home and family, you're going to hear the same thing. For those of you guys that are coming in and you're brand new, you're going to hear the same thing. But we believe this message of the gospel, which means good news, speaks to every area of life. And it's the very thing that shapes all of our life. Where we're going to go in the future, though, just a quick heads up, starting next week. If you're new, you're visiting, and you're thinking about maybe coming back next week, we're going to be jumping into the book of Judges. I think we have a slide for judges? Maybe. Maybe not. Either way, it's what we're going to be preaching next week. There you go. Judges is one of the darkest, if not the darkest book, uh, books in the Bible. It's, it's actually one of my favorite books in the Bible. And if you look at the wording, you can obviously see that words are misspelled. So trust me, I know I'm right. The people of Israel, the nation of Israel, decided that they knew what was best, they knew what was right, and that it led to their moral failure and moral corruption. And whenever humanity becomes the objective standard of truth and we decide what's right and what's wrong, we see moral failure and moral corruption happen. And so we're going to look at that next week, and ultimately we're going to see the same thing we see each week, that Jesus is the hero of Judges, and he's the hero of the entire Bible. It's actually a book that's written that's all about him. So with that, We'll jump into prayer this morning, but like I said, if you guys are going to uh, be jumping into the church kind of brand new, it's a great time to jump in next week since we're starting a new series. So uh, pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for your word, that we have truth, that we have a God that has spoken. God, we pray that you would speak to us this morning. I, I'm confident there are people in the room that are hurting, confident 
there's people in the room that need healing, that have friends and family that need healing, that are grieving, that are going through difficult times, whether in marriage, whether trying to have children, whatever it is, God, we're praying that you, through the power of your word and the spirit, would minister this morning. Through the exalting of Christ as the ultimate hero. We need you. We declare our need for you. I need you. Father, I thank you for our church family. I thank you for everyone that's seated here this morning. We pray in such a powerful way you would move, work, speak, and teach us. Show us the ultimate great news of who you are and what you've done and what you've accomplished, Jesus, on our behalf. We love you. We need you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to be looking at victory this morning. So if we understand that Christ is risen, which he has, oftentimes in the past we've tried to give a defense on, let me try to prove to you why Christ is risen. But here's this, over 2,000 years later, Christians are still meeting and gathering to worship the risen king. It has not been disproven. And so in a lot of ways, the burden of proof doesn't fall on the Christian. We have an empty tomb. Muhammad has a tomb, Buddha has a tomb, many others have tombs. There is no tomb for Christ. If you wanted to disprove Christianity, the easiest thing uh, for someone to do would have just been to show the body. And, and you go, well, maybe they hid it. You're talking about a bunch of chickens that were hiding in a room together, going and taking over Roman soldiers and hiding the body. It's just not likely. And then living the rest of their life for a complete and total lie that would lead to them being Um, in poverty, broke, beaten, and crucified upside down. It's just not likely. And so instead of saying, here's why you should trust that Christ rose, we're going to talk about more what does it mean for us that Christ is rose. And so with that, what we're going to understand is that Easter is a celebration of new life, new creation, but ultimately victory. And everyone needs victory. In, In our culture today, we love and admire hard work. Love and admire hard work. Grit, heart, all of that, determination. So some of our favorite movies are movies like Rudy or Invincible. If you guys seen it with Mark Wahlberg where he plays the role of Vince Pauly and, and, and he rises through just hard work ethic to accomplish and, and earn a spot in the NFL. But also you watch a series, like one of my favorite series growing up. I, just, just from the time I've been little, like four, you would see me in a karate gi. Always loved martial arts. Always loved martial arts movies, but always loved movies like The Karate Kid. My mom would say that on repeat at our house was this uh, movie. It was Jean-Claude Van Damme's first showing, but it was called No Retreat, No Surrender. I watched that movie like every day, that and Bloodsport. Solid family. (laughs) That's what I loved. But out of my favorite, even to this day, was Rocky. Now, if I ask you which one of your Rockies was your favorite, we're just going to count the first five, and the fifth one's questionable. But one is where he fights and loses a split decision to Apollo Creed. The second one, he beats him. The third one, he fight, fights Clubber Lang. And the fourth, fourth one, he fights Ivan Drago. Now, let's just do it for, for fun. Either one, two, three, or four, on the count of three, hold up your hand. If you don't hold up your hand, that's fine. You're just dead to me, okay? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> But on a serious note, someone once told me, 
at, at the gym, I, I, I'm saying I'm not gonna shame you guys, okay? Someone at the gym uh, introduced themselves to me. I was like, where are you from? And they said, Aspen. And I said, <laughs> California. And uh, they said, it's actually in Colorado. And uh, <laughs> I just turned and walked away because that's a quote from Dumb and Dumber that I thought everyone knew, but I knew that he and I would never be friends. And so, <laughs> so I didn't correct it. If you have never seen Rocky, that's okay. It's okay. But if you have seen Rocky on the count of three, hold up your favorite one. One, two, three, or four, okay? One, two, three, go. Okay. It's not as unanimous as I thought, but, but a lot of fours, a lot of fours. And why? Because it was almost Rocky's biggest match. It was his biggest opponent. It, it, it was going to be the hardest battle in front of him. You saw him go to Russia to do this ultimate training camp. You saw all the work and everything that Rocky was putting into it. He had lost his friends. He had lost Mickey, his trainer. He had lost his best friend, Apollo Creed. You, you saw everything lined up against him, but you saw someone through hard work, through tenacity, rise to the top and beat his opponent. We love it. Hearts on Fire, all those songs, the soundtrack, we love it because it's about hard work and grit and it's about victory. This is why Christianity is so difficult for us though. And I'll get to that at the end. Because we love to see how hard work, how effort, how tenacity, how all that pays off. Then you get to the Christian message and it's not about your hard work, effort, and tenacity. It's about trusting in someone else's. And it's really hard to accept but in Christianity, we don't just get to live vicariously through a rocky or someone like that. Actually, the work that's been done belongs to us, and it's made to belong to us. It's, it's, it's ours. So here's where we're going to go this morning. We're going to work off of Nike's slogan. So I, I do this because I want you, whether Christian or non-Christian, when you're in the world to see stuff like this. But Nike has a slogan, and we're in track town. Their slogan is just do it. In other words, whatever you want to do, put your mind to it and just do it. When we arrive, arrive to Christianity, the main point I would say this morning is just know you can't do it, but he did. So just know you can't do it, but he did. It, it's, it's different from our culture coming out saying, just do it. Put your mind to it, lace up your bootstraps, get, get white knuckles and just do it. We'd say the message today is just know you can't do it, but he did. Our structure this morning is going to be this, one, two, and three. Just know we have the same desire and problem. Just know you can't do it is the second. The third is just know he did it. Re read with me, 1 Corinthians 15. 54, we'll start there. This is from the words of the Apostle Paul, written to the church in Corinth, morally corrupt place. He's talking about the resurrection here. And he says this, that when the perishable puts on the imperishable, in other words, when Christ returns and we get to put on our resurrected bodies, our new bodies, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? This is quoted from Isaiah and from Hosea. So from two prophets. Goes on to say this, 56. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That right there is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. So if we look back at 54, as Mark just said, this is, this is quoted. So, so Paul is saying, one day it's going to come for those who have trusted in Christ, when you're going to put off your old body, your old decaying body, and you're going to be given your new resurrected body. Christ has a, res a resurrected body for us that does not fall into decay, that does not get sick, that does not get cancer. It doesn't feel any 
bit of brokenness because there will be no brokenness in the world. And he's like, that day is going to come when the perishable puts on the imperishable, when the mortal finite puts on the infinite immortality. It's coming. And he was like, and then we'll be able to say, this is what this is. This is a taunt. This is a heckle towards death. Then we'll be able to say this, death, you're swallowed up in victory. Death, where's your sting? Where's your victory? That's a taunt. But first, to see that we all have the same desire and to just know that we have the same desire and same problem, let's look at 54 for now. I believe that every person I know wants to live forever. Like I've never been to a funeral that hasn't said something along the lines of this, regardless of beliefs, so-and-so's in a better place now. Like I've never heard someone say, so-and-so's just rotting in the dirt with the worms. No one's, I've, ne- I've never heard that. I've always heard people say like, like there's something better. I don't think we long for death. Like even now, our, our family has some fun trips planned for the summer. I want to live for that. I want to be around for that. I don't think we have this natural longing for death. Eventually you reach an age where you're like, Bring it on, Jesus, you know? But, but for the most part, we go, I don't long for it. And here's why. Death is the opposite of who God is, and you were created in his image. God is not death. Uh, death. God is life. And when he created humans, he didn't create us for death. He created us for life, to live forever in a state of immortality. So death goes completely opposite with the character and nature of who God is, which is why we don't like it which is why we really don't celebrate it. And which is why many people don't long for it. We long for life because death is the result of sin. And so what I'm saying that we all have this same desire, and then we should just know this, is all of us long to live forever. To have some state of immortality, not just to say that just things end and things stop. I think we share that in common. In the movie Troy, I want, since Ronnie's not preaching, I want to make sure I get a movie quote in for him. In the, in the movie Troy, they're, they're getting ready to take the land, and Troy looks at the Marmadans, his soldiers, his, his, his army, and he says this. He says, he, he points and says, immortality's there waiting for you. Go and take it. It's yours. In other words, go and die knowing that you're going to live forever. I think all of us have this innate desire to live forever because all of us were created in the image of God who has eternally forever existed. We're going to bypass for right now and come back to it, verse 55, because we need to understand the rest of the context here to see why this is so significant. So just know we have the same desire to live forever. And I believe to live forever with God. But there's a problem. Look at verse 56. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. So just know we have this desire to live forever, but also just know that we have the same problem, is the result of sin is death. So when, at, when God created Adam and Eve, death was not a part of it. What happened is Adam and Eve took the commands of God and said, no thanks, We'll do whatever we want. And then through that, we call it the fall in Christianity. We say the fall entered. Sin entered the world, which impacted all of humanity, all, of, all, all people, and everything. The entire world was impacted by this fall. Sin entered the world, and then death entered the world through it. So now what we see is actually death is the byproduct of sin. When sin has its full effect, it leads to death. That's why we fear death. 
And that's why I believe people that don't have a relationship with Christ have a heightened fear of death or even their loved ones dying because it stings when people die. That's what Paul is saying. The death, the, 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 the sting of death. When you lose someone that stings, it's painful, really painful. The only thing that minimizes this sting is when you know that person has a relationship with Jesus and they're with them for eternity. So our same problem is this, is that we have this nature of sin that we're born with, that we're born with. So we, we are born into a nature of sin and then we choose sin out of that nature. Let, let me give you a couple examples. I, I have a hard time arguing this point unless someone has kids, then it's easy to see that we're born with a sin nature, okay? Like a year ago, I'm not going to say which one of my kids, we heard stuff falling down the stairs in our house. It was about a year ago. And I'm like, what is that? And, and, and we heard it again, do, 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 falling down the stairs of our house. And I look around the corner and one of my kids is pushing their dolls down the stairs, right? And I'm like, that's a little dark. And, and, like, and, and she's just like, I just want to see him fall. <laughs> like, I was like, should we be concerned? Like, that our, we, like, that's not something we do. Like, Allie and I don't sit at the top of the stairs and push dolls down to see how it goes down. This same child has ran up to me on multiple occasions and punched me right in the, right on in there. And uh, I don't know how to phrase that from the pulpit. And so on, on multiple occasions, that's not how we communicate in the Reese family. Like Allie and I don't do stuff like this. I've literally heard my wife scream bloody murder because the same child has also just ran up to us and just latched on and bit us like for no apparent reason. Also not something we do on a common basis in our family. We see kids throw tantrums. We see kids do stuff. It's because we're born with a sin nature, and then we choose to sin out of that. We have this problem that we are sinners. And what we like to think is that sin is something that exists out there and out in the world. The problem is sin exists inside of us. Religion says, how do we fix it and mask it? How do we slow down the aging process? Because that also points to death. How do we fix all these things? Religion says, let's, let's fix something on the outside. And the gospel says, let's get to the issue of the heart. Do you know aging is also a sign of sin in the world? Because we age towards death. Every day, every person in this room is one step closer towards death. That's a happy Easter sermon. And... Every time, I said this a while back, we drive by a cemetery. It's a reminder of what sin leads to. Sin leads to death. And it'll lead to a million deaths before your final physical death. That's what sin does. The reason we have problems in our relationships, in our marriages, is because of sin. When there's jealousy inside of a relationship, that relationship can't function the way that God designed when there's greed, when there's bitterness, when there's these things, there's, there, there's a relationship that can't exist. And so that will naturally lead to death if it's not dealt with. Here's our problem. Just know we have the same desire, live forever, but we have the same problem. We are all born with the sin nature and then choose to sin out of that. How else do I know this? Because before God gave the law to Moses on Sinai, he already wrote the law in our hearts. The very, the, the, the very reason that there's things about us we don't like. We don't like that we still do this. We don't like that we get angry over this. We don't like this. We don't like this. But that we also know what's beautiful, a sunrise and a sunset, the Grand Canyon. There's things of beauty because in us, creating God's image, we know what's beautiful. We know what's right. And we know what's wrong. And then when God's law came along and said, don't covet 
don't lust, don't do these things, it's only affirmed what we already know to be wrong with us, that we're sinful. It's not popular to talk about sin, but it's a reality that we must deal with. And this is the problem we have. We desire to live forever, but sin stops that desire. So just know, same, same desire, same problem. Me, up here, all of us, we, we all have this. And so what do we do? If you go back to the Rocky or anything like that, you just got to figure out how do I grit and bear and fix this problem that I have? But here's what you need. You need a few things. You need a just and holy God. And we want this, right? We want a just God. We don't want a judge in a courtroom to say, ah, we'll just let that one slide. Never would we want a God to look at someone's sinner and justice and say, ah, don't worry about it. We'll let it slide. We want it. Tell me when you watch a movie and there's like a bully or a bad guy and, and, and you watch that, you don't want like justice to come down on that person, right? Like, I really want it. Sometimes I don't feel like it's enough. I was like, nah, I'll give them more, you know? And so like, I want that. We want a just and holy God. We don't want a God that turns his back on sin. We want a God that's going to deal with it. But here's the thing. We need an infinite payment because sin has an infinite eternal cost, meaning that when we sin against a holy, eternal, infinite God, the punishment is infinite, eternal abandonment from that God, separation from that God. So we need an infinite, eternal sacrifice and payment for us, but we also need one who's perfect. Because no one can offer up to a holy, perfect God an imperfect sacrifice. We also need that perfection to be given to us. And so it leads to this question, are, are we that? Are we, imperf are, are, are we perfect and can we offer up a perfect sacrifice to God? And I think if we're all honest that we would say we can't fix our problem. So just know that we have the same desire, the same problem but also just know that you can't do it, but he did it, which is where we get to verse 57. Look here. This is arguably one of the most important buts in the Bible. It's a conjunction, but it's arguably one of the most important buts in human history. That's really weird to say. And so this is, this is the only time that I ever get excited about grammar is whenever we start looking at this and deeply what this means, is that we're broken, we can't fix our problem, and he says, but. Many of us at this point go, give me three steps. Give me 10, give me 12, I'll knock it out of the park. But that's not what Paul says. He says this, he says, thanks be to God. Who, look here, this is what excites me, gives. This Greek word for gives right here, look, pay attention, it's didomi. Didomi, that, that means in the Greek lexicon, in other words, the Greek dictionary, it means that he gives freely or he freely gives. So we're broken, but thanks be to God who freely gives us, look at this, next word. This is what we call an article. There's definite and indefinite articles. A definite article is the, and an, an indefinite article is a. It doesn't say that God gives us a victory. It says that God gives us freely the victory. As in there's just one victory to be given. That's what he says. We, we, we have the same desire. We have the same problem. We can't do it, but we have to realize he did it. And so what we say in Christianity is thanks be to God who freely gives us the victory through how? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. His victory 
And what he accomplished at the cross when he said it is finished actually belongs to us. He gives it to us. He makes it ours. In the same way, if, if, if a title to a home or to a car is given to you, that shows that that belongs to you. It's yours. But where it's different is you pay for a mortgage and then the home belongs to you. You pay for a car, then the car belongs to you. God comes along through his grace and says, you do nothing for this. No work, no effort, nothing. And I fully give you the full victory of my son on your behalf. That's different. But it's really hard for us to accept because we want grit, hard work, and something where we can plug ourselves into the center because we're self-centered people and say, well, look what I did. Look what I attributed. Look, look, look what I gave. I did this. I did something. When you come to the true Christian message of the gospel and of grace, the only thing you can honestly say is, I brought my sin and nothing else. Jesus Christ brought, did, and accomplished everything. And then God, through his grace, says, here's his victory. It now belongs to you. It's not a partial giving. It's he fully, freely gives the full victory of Jesus Christ over sin, over Satan, and over death. Jesus Christ is the only person to ever step in the ring with, the de with death and walk out. He's the only one that's conquered it. He's the only one that's conquered Satan, that's conquered sin, and that's conquered death. He's the only one where there's an empty tomb. Here, here's, here's what I would say. And please hear this. Many of us come in understanding our depravity. Some of us don't because we tend to be more self-righteous. No matter if you are someone who is, is just open in rebellion sinning or someone who tends to be more self-righteous, which just means that you believe you can earn or merit your right standing with God, you have to know that Jesus went to the cross to bear the weight and punishment for both of those. And when he walked out of the tomb three days later, he, he, he says this, that your sin no longer belongs to you. But instead, Christ's victory belongs to you. Let me say it again, because I know there's some distractions. And I'll say it this way. You can spend the rest of your life looking inside of the grave to the sins that Christ has already paid for and left there, or you can spend the rest of your life looking to the man that walked out of that grave and the victory that he made yours. Thank you. We're like a step above a Presbyterian church. You can say amen. That's good news. And I would also say this. You will either be defined by what was taken into the tomb or the man who walked out of it for the rest of your life, for the rest of eternity. The world says you are defined by what you do. I, I saw a show that said this recently. And, and someone said you are only defined in your life by your actions. That's not true for Christianity. You were defined by the victory of the man who walked out of the tomb and you were defined by his actions that he lived in your place. Nothing in the tomb defines me. And, and what we need to stop doing oftentimes as Christians is constantly looking back into the tomb to see our shame, our guilt, and our fear, knowing that Jesus put it there and he left it there and he walked out. And so what we need to say is that's not mine, that is, pointing to Christ, his victory, his achievements, his accomplishments, his perfection, his holiness. That's what defines me. You're a saint. The enemy will come along and say, man, you're a total screw up. And you can, you can say, you're absolutely right, I, I, I am, but I know one person who wasn't and who paid for all my scripts, he paid for all my failures, 
and he and he alone was victorious, and God gave me the fullness of his victory. And so in Christ, God says, this victory, this is yours. Now and forevermore, this victory belongs to you. That's why we celebrate Easter, not just because there's an empty tomb, not just because Jesus walked out, but because what he did when he walked out was claim victory over everything in your life, over everything that you've ever done, but also the things that's been done to you. You're no longer those things. You are what Christ has made you, pure, perfect, righteous, holy. And I want so bad to, to often in life, to, to try to get people to focus on the victory because I think sometimes we idolize staring at ourselves and our accomplishments, where we're at and where we're not at. And, and, and we'll oftentimes keep looking back into the grave to what Christ has buried on our behalf instead of seeing the victory that he's given us. What I want for my girls as a father is I want to constantly tell them, show them, remind them that their dad is not the hero. But the hero is Christ, who is victorious on their behalf, and through faith in him and what he's accomplished, we are reconciled to God, and God will never, listen, this is so cool, God will never look at your life, never, once you've placed your trust and faith in him, and see you as anything less than victorious over sin. Not because you were, or I was, but because Christ was in your place. You might not feel lovable, and you might struggle to believe this, but it's true. You want to know why? Because I'll put God's word up against your emotions any day. I, I don't want to bring in a question God's word. I want to bring in a question my emotions, because those are fickle. But when God says, but, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, and we understand that's been given to us. And remember how he said he gives it? Fully and freely. Let me end with these three things and then a story. Thank you, Rick, for sharing this with us, but what does it mean for us? I would say the more that we understand Christ's victory, that just know that we have the same desire problem, just know that we can't do it, but that he did it, then it impacts three things, our identity, our purpose, and healing, okay? Identity, purpose, and healing. Let's start with identity. In this room, we have people that have jobs. We have students, we have moms, we have dads, we have people that are wanting to become moms and dads. The more that we identify with every other identity in the, in the world, the more fear, shame, guilt, and burnout we'll have. And here's what I mean. If, if my identity is in being a pastor, if my identity is in being a dad, on my worst days as a pastor, our elders can tell you, I have plenty of those. Our staff can tell you, I have plenty of those. If my identity is wrapped in that, then I'm crushed and I'm crumbling down. If my identity is in being a mom, the moms could say, man, you have bad days as a mom. You have good days as a mom. You have days where you feel like a failure, but your identity is not ultimately in being a mom. That's what the victory of Christ brings. Your ultimate identity is not in your emotions, even how you feel about being a mom. Or whether you are a mom or not, your ultimate identity is that you're a loved victorious child of God, that never changes. And since that can't change, it pulls away something that can be lost, something that could crush you, something that could come crumbling down. When you can't ever being, or, 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 when, when God won't stop loving you, seeing you victorious and, and pouring out his infinite love on you, that's your identity. Not an employee, not being single, 
Not whether I get a promotion, not what I'm going to do with my life, not, not any of those things. Our identity is a victorious, loved child of God. It won't change. Which leads to our purpose. Our purpose in life is simple. Catechism speaks to this. Love God, gl- or glorify God, and enjoy Him forever. We're, we're trying so hard to find and see young people. What's my purpose in life? What's my purpose in life? Your purpose in life is to be loved like God, to know and understand the victory that's been given to you through faith in Christ, and now to live victoriously. So back to the house analogy, if, 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 if I own this house, then my job is to live in the house. If you own Christ's victory, live victoriously over sin in life. That's your purpose. Glorify God by enjoying him and the relationship you get to have with him. Last is healing. This is something that's not talked about a lot, but the gospel brings healing. Tremendous healing. Which is why I want my daughters to know, taste, and experience the love of God. Because any brokenness that I add to their life as a father, anything in their life, I believe that God's love through Christ has the power to heal. I know this from my own life. There's nothing that's provided more healing to me than the love of God, period. I'm confident I would not be up here. I'm confident my life, my family, nothing would look the same as it does. I think it's more powerful than healing sight. I think it's more powerful than healing miracles. I I think it's the most powerful thing, the healing that God's love brings to our souls. When, When the creator of the universe, whose image you were created in, who, who, whose ultimate uh, place you're supposed to find your purpose, your worth, and your identity looks upon you and says three words, I love you. I think it heals in a powerful, profound way. Isaiah 53 talks about this. We have those verses. First Peter 2 echoes what Isaiah says. But in Isaiah, I'm going to look up here because I don't have them in front of me. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. First Peter echoes it. All we like sheep have gone astray. He himself bore our sins in his body. <laughs> All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned aside through his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. So Isaiah says this, by his wounds, you've been healed. We don't talk about this enough in the church. And then Peter echoes it too. What Christ accomplished through his victory reconciles us to God's love and and it is God's love that ultimately provides healing in our life. Where there's brokenness in your relationships, where there's brokenness anywhere in life, I'm so confident to say that God's love and God's love alone will heal it. Not getting through something, not getting out of something, not getting something better, but grasping the victory that's made yours is what you need and then to realize What that victory provides is a God that looks at you and loves you infinitely. Think about this. You add up all the love in all the world from all the most loving people you know, and that's a sliver because it's still finite from a God who loves you infinitely without measure. If you travel around the earth, it it, it takes about 50 hours, and it's about 25,000 miles If you did that 10 times, it would be a lot of numbers. If you did it 100 times, 10,000 times, it's a lot of numbers. 
But those numbers still add up to something. God's love cannot be numbered because it is infinite. Let me close with this story. This is a true story. One pastor and professor tells a story of a young man who attended college where he taught. This is what he says. By all of society's standards, Larry would be called ugly. He was short, extremely obese, and had bad acne and a severe lisp. In all my days, I have never met someone with such low self-esteem. He told me that when he looked in the mirror every day, he actually spat on it. No campus girl would date him, and no fraternity wanted him as a pledge. I won't forget the day he walked into my office and said, Ah, oh, you're the new face on campus. Well, my name is Larry Mullaney, and I'm an ethnostic. I replied, congratulations, and if you ever become atheist, let me know so I can buy you dinner and celebrate your conversion. That winter, Larry left college in Ohio and headed for home in, in, in Providence for Christmas. Larry's father was a typical lace curtain Irishman instead of a shanty Irishman, which means you don't come to the table without a suit on and most likely a dark pinstripe suit. That first evening, Larry showed up to the table like a shanty Irishman smelling like a billy goat. Larry and his father had their usual squabble over dinner and over the days ahead, but then it, became, uh, but then it came time for Larry to leave, so the next day he was headed back for Ohio. His father said, I'll ride the bus with you to the airport, so he did. That next morning, Larry and his dad got off the bus to see some of the men who worked at the same factory as Larry's dad. They started making fun of Larry. Oink, oink, oink. Look at that fat pig, they said. I would hide him in a basement if that was ever my kid. Another said, if that was my kid, he would be out the door so fast. Another said, give us your best oink. And the men relentlessly continued. Again, true story. Larry came back and told me this story, but he told me what his father did right then and there in that moment. His father bent over, embraced him, gave him a kiss, and said, Larry, if your mother and I had lived 200 more years, it wouldn't be long enough to thank God for the gift he gave us in you. I am so proud that you are my son. Shortly after Larry started dating a girl, he became president of a fraternity. His life changed, and what changed it? Loved it. Larry put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ where he found the ultimate love and approval he needed. No longer did he walk with his head down or live in a foxhole because love changed his life. Back to the Rocky story. You know what also changed Rocky's life? Is Rocky had a trainer named Mickey. And what would always flash in Rocky's fights at the end is Mickey would say, get up, Rocky. He would say, because Mickey loves you. And it was that that drove even Rocky. And, and what I'm saying today is the ultimate love that we need to know and find, the ultimate victory we need is supplied to us fully, freely, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. This is why the message of Christianity is one we celebrate. It should bring a smile to our face. It never changes. But it's also why it's so hard for us to accept, because it's only through faith. Let's pray. Father, we love you and praise you. Thank you for the victory that's been made ours in Jesus Christ. We thank you that it's not the tomb and what was laid there that defines us. It's the man on the outside, Jesus Christ and his victory that's been given to us. In Jesus' name we pray.